Hi, it's Darren from Hacker Job here. This week, I'm joined by Kyle Elliott, career and life coach, resume, and LinkedIn writer and professional speaker. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be here. So thank you so much for appearing. So um, I guess the question I always get people to, to answer at the start of the pod is obviously not everyone's going to be aware of you, not everyone's going to have seen your, your profile before and understand who you are. So would you be able to give us a little bit of context to your background? Yeah, so I'm a career coach. So in a nutshell, I help people find jobs they love, but I did not just decide one day I wanted to be a career coach. What's interesting about my story is I fell into this. So I started in college doing resume reviews and writing LinkedIn profile summaries for literally $5 on Fiverr. And then over the course of three or four years, that just grew and grew and grew into a side hustle and then into a small business. And then just over three years ago, I made the leap turning my business full time. And now I primarily work in Silicon Valley with people in high tech, senior managers and executives, helping them find jobs they love. So it's really been a fun journey to come to this place where every day I get to wake up, do work I love, which is helping other people find jobs they love. Are you from uh, California originally? That's a question that I don't even know the answer to. Yes, I am. So I'm from the Central Coast, Paso Robles. It's about halfway between San Francisco and LA on the Central Coast. I, I guess what's quite interesting about your background is you're on the Forbes Coaching Council. Yes, I am. Yes, so it's an invite-only group of top career, business, executive, leadership coaches. I'm one of the few millennials in it, and I found that that's often a trend throughout my career. I'm one of the few millennials who's a career coach and resume writer for senior executives, one of the few millennials in the Forbes Coaches Council. So it's been a fun journey to get to this place, and I found, I actually did it in another interview earlier today for a TV show, and I found that that's the trend. I primarily work with executives, and I'm a few decades younger than them. And that's what she asked. What's it like working with these executives who are a lot older? Why are they working with you? You're in your 20s, and they're in their 40s or 50s. And I love it, and they love it, because they bring a different perspective compared to their executive peers. And it's really, they're experts at what they do. I don't know how to do a merger or an acquisition. I've never managed a multi-million, multi-billion dollar budget. And they don't know how to write resumes. They are not pros at interviewing. They don't know how to leverage LinkedIn to network. So we get to learn from each other and I get to operate in my zone of genius and they get to operate in their zone of genius. Amazing. You, you wear quite a few hats, I guess is the best way to describe it. So how would you juggle your, your day to day? So it's interesting. I'm a Virgo. My birthday's in a few days. It's Virgo season right now. And really what I think of is everything I do is with that end goal of helping clients find jobs they love. But people are in different aspects or paths of finding their job. When 90, 95% of people come to me, they say, Kyle, I need a resume. That's what we think of when it comes to a job. But there's so many different aspects. So what I like doing is finding where are they in the path of a job search? Is it really their resume? That's the problem. Most times it's not just the resume. We can look earlier in the path and say, are you applying to the right jobs? Do you have the right skills and qualifications? Or they say, Kyle, it's my resume. That's the job. I've had 20 interviews and I haven't got a job offer. I'm like, mm, that's not your resume. Your resume is doing perfect. You have a beautiful resume. It's your interview skills or your salary negotiation skills. Something's coming up. So I like figuring out where they are. And that's how I really juggle that is I say, okay, my job is to help you find a job. Let me figure out where that is. It might be resume writing. It might be interview coaching, or it might be career discovery. And my job is to figure out what do you need to get to that end goal of finding a job you love. Amazing. Um, so coming back, I guess, to the, the coaching part of your role. So you, you do career coaching in Silicon Valley. 
one of the things that you're known for, I guess, is helping people to navigate difficult transitions around, mm-hmm. uh, around different areas, particularly, I, I guess, for our guys who would be focusing on the tech stuff. So I don't want to use and, and talk about the C word too, too much because everyone is bored of that here in the, about COVID-19. Um, but what advice would you, do you have for people who are perhaps out of work or are looking for a career change at this time? Yes. So what's happening is so many people are out of work. So there's this huge supply of job seekers and there's less demand because there's less jobs out there. So the key is you have to stand out. That's really even before COVID, you had to stand out on the job market because there's so much competition. And now you have to stand out even more. And one of the ways to do that is to avoid blending in. That's one of the biggest mistakes I see, particularly with people in tech. They go find a resume template online and they say, here's how I'm going to write my resume, just like everyone else, because this is the format that works. And when it comes to interview coaching, they go find an elevator pitch formula online. They go find, here's how you answer your three strengths. And they blend in like everyone else. And those are great training wheels. I'm not saying not to use them. That's where you start. Just like riding a bike, that's where you start. But that's not where you stop. You don't say, okay, I have this template or I have these great elevator pitch formulas and I'm going to end. You start there and then you want to build on top of it. So that's where I come in. Clients who work with me are already usually A minuses or A's and I take them to that A plus level to help them stand out. They're usually already doing somewhat well in their job search. They've had some recruiters ping them. They've maybe made it to an interview or two, but they're just not able to seal the deal and I help them take it to the next level. And typically that's helping them avoiding blending in and figuring out what's fabulous. I want to know what makes you fabulous? What helps you stand out from the other 500,000, 10,000 applicants? And that's a question I ask. One of the first questions I ask with clients is what makes you fabulous and what makes you stand out from everyone else? And for the people listening, write down that question, what makes me fabulous? And that's something you want to start noodling on as you're job searching or if you're going to be job searching. And I think that's a fascinating way to look at it because there are 10,000 Java developers out there, there's a few thousand CTOs, but it's what makes you different to the rest of the crowd. Because if you're just saying the same thing that everyone is, they could pick any of those 10,000. Whereas if you're looking at it from what actually differentiates me to everyone else, and you find that one nugget, that could be the nugget that gets you the right one. Exactly, because there's going to be this pile of 10,000 resumes, and then I want you in this other pile all by yourself. So then it's not comparing you to everyone else, but it's just either a yes or no with you. Um, There's Rich Litvin, a coach I've worked with, and his philosophy is it's either a hell yes or a hell no. There is no hell maybe in the middle, and that's where I want my clients in that hell yes pile. And sometimes when you stand out, you might get in the hell no pile, but we want you in one of those piles. Hell maybes don't get hired, particularly when there's this much competition with COVID. And uh, I guess being in the hell no part isn't necessarily a bad thing. Because if you're a hell no, but you are standing out true to yourself, then that role is probably not right for you anyway. So if you put yourself in that that hell no channel, it means that you're not going to walk into that role six months down the line and go, this role wasn't right for me. Exactly. And then you're going to be a hell yes to someone else too. That's the thing. I I work with my clients to be polarizing, hopefully in a good way, but we want to be polarizing. So you land a role somewhere and you don't just keep getting to the stage of, I keep applying to hundreds of jobs and I'm not getting any results. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, I think what's very interesting about your background is that if you look at the companies that you're putting people into, they really need to stand out because you're looking at their the creme de la creme, I call it, like that tier one company is where you're aiming for your 
your clients to go to. So I, I know that you obviously do help them with other companies as well, but when you're looking at that tier one, then these are the kind of companies that aren't even getting 10,000 applications. They're probably getting 20, 30,000 applications. So it's yes. even harder to stand out in those kind of areas. Yes, it's Google, it's Facebook, it's LinkedIn, it's Microsoft, it's Amazon, it's Apple, it's Boeing, it's Deloitte, and you have to stand out. And if me asking you que that question makes you nervous, that's okay, because we're going to practice and we're going to work through it. And then you're going to go to that company and be confident. So write that down. And if you don't know how to answer, that's okay. Text some friends. I do this during workshops. I do this with clients. I say, let's text some people right now. What makes me fabulous? Say, hey, I'm listening to Darren. I'm listening to Kyle. They're talking about this. Tell me what makes me fabulous. And then you can leverage that on your resume, on your LinkedIn, when networking, in your interview. So don't feel like you just have to come up with it out of thin air. You can pull that from other people around you too. I would be terrified if I text my friends. <laughs> Do what I encourage you though. People say really nice things and I encourage my clients too, especially my life coaching clients that they're having a rough time, text some people and then save it as your screenshot. It's nice to look at those words of affirmation. You don't know my friends, clearly. <laughs> I've had my dad, my dad's like, you're weird. What's wrong with you, Kyle? And then he said a bunch of nice things and it was nice. There we go. So I know one of the, the main strategies of helping people in their search from, from your side is to reach out to recruiters and hiring managers. When we were speaking last week, networking was a big part of our conversation. Mm. And so obviously reaching out to people directly and understanding what they're looking for. I get flipping this concept because everyone should hopefully know networking, although we'll probably touch on it later anyway. Probably lots of applicants are going for a single job, but from a recruiter side and from a hiring manager side, what should they be doing in order to, to stand out themselves and attract that best talent? Even though there are so many applicants out there with COVID, a lot of applicants are also recognizing there's a lot of companies that are hiring. We're on Zoom right now. Zoom is blowing up. There's a lot of companies that are blowing up. Instacart, Uber, there's these Uber Eats. There's all these companies that are blowing up and applicants still have the opportunity to be picky. And I've been speaking with a lot of HR leaders, hiring managers, and they're recognizing that employees have a lot of voice and that people are not just going to companies and being workhorses. They're recognizing that they have voice. So how you treat candidates throughout the application process and through the recruiting process is a reflection of your company. And I have clients, especially those top candidates, who are applying to Amazon, Apple, Google, they have a lot of companies to choose from. So if you drag them through the mud, you ghost them throughout the process, you have them go through five, six, seven interviews, they're not going to choose your company. They say, oh, Amazon had a really lengthy process and Google was more streamlined. Who are they going to go with? And that's just an example. But it's really key to recognize that employees are still being picky and those top caliber candidates have a lot of choice throughout this process. So really be mindful of your employee experience and those top companies. I love that they're asking for feedback throughout the process. What worked during this process? What's not working? And then injecting that feedback back into that process and continually updating it. Yeah. And I, I think the, why I love networking is not only does it help from candidate side, but from an employer side as well. Mm -hmm. Networking is huge because like we keep going back to, you're getting 10,000 applications. You don't have time to go through those 10,000 applications. No. Really all you're going to do is go through that top 100 applications, the first 100 to come in, and then you're going to go, okay, of these 100, which ones do you want to take forward? So the rest of those applicants are just a waste to you because you're never going to go back to them and you'll never look at them. And having worked with a lot of big companies over the years, 
I guarantee you, you don't even store those applications afterwards. They're not captured anywhere. So when you are next looking to hire someone, you're not looking at those old applications, you're starting from ground zero. So what I love about networking is you can start having those conversations, which mean that you don't need to go through an entire resume or search for a resume. You're just having a raw conversation. And that's when you really find out how good someone is. Because I think that everyone can write a resume, but it's very hard to then take that resume in and bring it to life in verbal form. And that's why what we do at HackerJob, not to promote HackerJob too much, is, is much more around like the coding base and around how, how can you show your, yourself from your code? Because as an engineer, that should be the way you speak. It should be through your code. So I, I think, in my opinion, networking is as important as anything else right now because it's very hard to stand out. But also, if you've got someone amazing reaching out to you, have those conversations. Don't just wait a few days to go back to them. If someone's reaching out to you, firstly, they're showing they're super interested in the role. They're not just applying mm-hmm. to the process there. And also, it's a raw conversation you can have, which, in my opinion, are the best conversations you can have. And as you said, when those companies are getting thousands of applicants, they're not going to be able to go through all of them. And there are some companies that will, but a lot aren't able to. So if you're able to network your way in, they can then go in, search your name and pull out your application. So what I often encourage people to do is not just reach out to recruiters and hiring managers. I write a lot of LinkedIn profiles for recruiters. They get so many messages on LinkedIn, it's hard to keep up. But reach out to people who are in your similar role. So if you're going to be a product manager at Facebook, reach out to the other product managers because their boss is the hiring manager and then they can go ask the recruiter to pull out your resume in particular. So don't just go for the recruiters and hiring managers, but seek out people in the same role as the one you're targeting. That's such a good tip. Not a lot of people touch on that. So I'd love to delve mm-hmm. into that for a second. So if you, let, let's, let's role play. If you were, uh, if you're a product manager and you're looking for a product management role at yeah. Facebook, how would you approach that? What would be the kind of opening message that you would suggest to, uh, to use? Yeah, I'd say, hey, Jack, I see that you're a product manager at Facebook. I do product management at Google. We both do similar work. With COVID, product management has changed a lot. I'd love to chat for 20 minutes and share best practices. When's a good time to connect? And you'll notice I don't talk about job searching because it's kind of like dating. You're not going to talk about, hey, do you want kids (laughs) before you even go on a first date? And I think job searching is similar. People go in and say, I want this job, hire me or pass along my resume before you even get to know them. Instead, you want to get to know that person. Then if you talk to Jack and you like him and the company, you could say, oh, now that I've learned a bit about Facebook, this seems like a place I could like. Can you tell me what your interview is like? Here's what it was like at Google. Can you tell me if you have an internal referral process? Here's what it's like at Google. You know what? I saw that you're hiring for a product manager. Do you think I would be a good fit? And maybe you bring that up during your call or a few weeks later or a few months later. Oftentimes people are so focused on the short game that they're asking in that initial message, will you date me? Will you marry me? Will you have kids with me? (laughs) Instead of just courting someone. So I like treating it a little bit like dating. Obviously it's different. But treating it just a little bit like dating and getting to know someone before you dive in. Yeah, I love that, to be honest. Uh, I think my biggest gripe with networking in, in what I'm seeing in the market right now is every time I connect with someone, they'll, they'll start with an open message. Oh, I'd love to get you in their network. And then the minute you connect with them, there's a pitch. And it's very off-putting. And that's the last conversation I have ever have with that person. Not, not because I would never go back to them, but simply because 
you've pitched me so quickly that without ever having a conversation with me, yeah. that it's very hard for me to go, oh, I'd love to help you because I don't know you. Whereas if, if you're showing some mutual connections or you're saying, look, I'm seeing this in the market, what are you seeing? I'm open to a conversation about bits and pieces and it might take me a couple of hours to come back to you, but I like talking about what I'm seeing in the market. So I'm always open to those kind of conversations. Whereas if you reach into me and go, look, I'm looking for a job, here's my CV, I probably will, ne will never go back to you because it's, I'm very busy and I don't want to yeah. constantly be going back to someone on, on job stuff. I want to have a conversation. And then when I know you and I know how good you are, then I'm more than happy to pitch you places and, and talk to people I know in my network. And so I do it all the time. But if someone reaches out to me simply with a CV, it's very hard to do that. Yes, and you don't know how you can help them. You then are having to do the work. If I am at Google, you're at Facebook, and I'm, you're, let's say you're Jack, I'm making you, Jack, do all the work instead of me adding value. So that's why I like sharing best practices, because then you're equals instead of yep. me being the job seeker, you having something to offer, and you're having to do all this work to help me. So I really like focusing on how my clients can be equals to other people, because they are, and they have a lot to offer instead of just taking, taking, taking. Yeah, I love that. If it, uh, hopefully there's going to be more advice as we go through this, but if I can take any advice point and speak to people in market that, that would be the, the key advice point, talk about best practice, talk about what you can bring to the party, mm -hmm. not just can you give me this opportunity? So mm -hmm. making equal, equal measure is really interesting. Um, and, and then I guess something that we're seeing at the moment, everything is going digital, let's be honest. So whether it's events, whether it's interviews, whether it's networking, et cetera, so platforms like LinkedIn are obviously a big part of this. Um, it's not always easy to get it right and almost toe the line. So talk to us, I guess, about the difference between networking and spamming. So what would you, what we've kind of touched on already, but what, what kind of spamming messages do you see out there in the market at the moment? And what would you say people to avoid on top of what we've already discussed? So I'm a coach, so I get at least a few dozen messages or connection requests a day saying, here's some lead generation or business development to help you grow your business to six figures. Yeah. They haven't done any research because my business is already well beyond six figures and I'm doing well <laughs> and I don't need help with lead generation. My waiting list is six, eight weeks at this point. So it's silly. So the key is one not to just blast people, but instead to be specific. And number two, to add value. I think that's really key and is my message throughout the day. When networking, when messaging people, when connecting is to add value and seek ways to help other people rather than just saying, here's what you need without really even knowing what they need. Because I don't need lead generation. I don't need help growing to six figures. I've been there a while. So really just learn about this person and work to add value rather than making it about yourself. Because offering lead generation services is really about yourself and getting new clients. It's not truly about helping that other person. Yeah, makes sense. And what advice would you give to, to someone looking for a career change at the moment? So for those looking for a career change, recognize that you have so many transferable skills. I have a number of people reaching out from retail and hospitality who are like, Kyle, my industry has been decimated. If you've been watching the news, you realize those two industries have been decimated. But there's a lot of transferable skills and areas where you can just make a very slight pivot. For example, if you come from retail, look at something that's super similar, like Instacart, which is this retail-ish area, or Uber Eats, where you can go that's similar-ish. So see that you have transferable skills. And what happens is people just have a difficult time connecting the dots. 
So what I like doing is taking the job posting, printing it out, I have folders for every client I work with, and literally going item by item, copying and pasting the job posting and putting it on your resume and then massaging it till those words work for you. And you'll recognize any job out there, you've probably done 80, 90% of that job. You just don't have it in the correct words and that's why they're passing you by. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. I, I think what I think will be fascinating in the market in the next two, three years and probably been accelerated because of COVID is everyone is going to have to change their skills. Like if you look at the market five years ago, customer success wasn't really a thing. And now customer success is something that every company in the world has a customer success thing. So it's going to be interesting. What is that next role? And I agree that people need to look outside the box of what they're doing right now. And just because a role that you are working right now has gone away, doesn't mean you don't have the transferable skills to move into something else. Exactly. And with customer success in particular, no one did that before because this role just came up, but there's all these people who did really similar stuff, sales, marketing, customer service, operations, human resources, all these things are transferable. And if you want to move into customer success, for example, you probably have 90% of the skills because most roles are similar and we just have to connect the dots. Exactly. And that's your job as a job seeker is to connect those dots. Exactly. No, I utterly agree with that. If you look at, um, let's, let's bring it to tech, if you look at data science, Data science wasn't a, a, a thing 20 years ago. There was, there was data science and there was analytics and there was AI, but it was up there in the sky. It was something that some people talked about, but it wasn't really a reality. Whereas again, right now, Facebook, Google have got huge data science teams that if, you, if you'd ask our grandparents what data science was, they wouldn't have had a clue. And there'll be things that 10 years down the line we'll be talking about that aren't even, they don't even exist right now. So it's all about looking for the opportunities and, if you see something coming up and you think that's interesting, follow your dream. Don't just stick to, this is what I've done forever. This is what I can only do. Exactly. And I feel like oftentimes confidence is a big issue of it and doing that activity of connecting the dots between the job posting and what you've done can be helpful. And pulling that into your resume, connecting the dots can be helpful. I was recently working with someone who had a PhD in a different subject and was transitioning to tech and they realized, oh my gosh, I have all these skills. They just write it in a completely different way. I come from higher education and how we write in higher education is way different than tech, but a lot of it's the same exact thing. You just use different words. Exactly. But if a recruiter only has five, 10, 15 seconds to review your resume, they're going to pass on to the next one who's using that same language and where it's familiar to them. Yeah, no, no, it's 100% true. There's a lot of, sorry, to go back to data science, but data science is kind of split down the middle. You've got the traditional data scientists who are academics, mathematics, biology, physics, that have moved in during that. And then there's people that come through a computer science degree and they've, they've gone through that route. So what I've always said to people that come from the academic group is talk about what you have done um, commercially, what you're doing in your own background that is relevant to what these guys are trying to achieve. Don't just base it on what you've done from a PhD perspective, which as a recruiter, unfortunately, and whether it's a, a right way to do it or a wrong way to do it, as a recruiter, I look at your CV and like you say, you've got 10 seconds to make me think, right, okay, this is someone that I'm interested in having a conversation with. So if you make it hard for them to uncover that information, they'll never uncover it. 
And this goes back to our point about networking too. reach out to data scientists. If you're in academia, you want to move to tech, reach out to them and say, hey, I do data science in academia. You do this in tech. Do you have 20 minutes to share best practices? You can say, hey, here's what my CV looks like. Here's what your resume looks like. Do you have any tips? Hey, here's how I'm talking about this. How are you talking about it? Do you have tips? And people are willing to help each other. So again, that's why I love connecting with people who are at your same level, your target company, because they can provide insights. They've one, already went through the interview process and two, their boss is likely the hiring manager. Briefly mentioning COVID, in your opinion, how has it changed the way we look at job? Is there, do you think the process has improved, got worse? It's changed. <laughs> I think there's positives yeah. and yeah. negatives. What I'm seeing is there's a lot more humanity and flexibility. I'm finding, I primarily work with senior managers and executives again, and a lot of these people have money. They're used to having childcare. They're used to some of them having a nanny. And now these people are not used to having that. They have to look over their children. In the United States, most, if not all places are still doing homeschooling and people are around their children all the time and they're recognized saying we need a lot more flexibility and that push for work from home and remote work and more flexible work is finally at the forefront and I'm noticing that in the recruitment process too there's a lot of companies that are being a lot more flexible and doing all their interviews remotely before companies would say oh the final interview you have to come in person there's no exceptions and now they're saying no we're not allowed to do any in-person interviews you have to <laughs> do them all remotely and there's this push for flexibility and empathy and humanity in the interview process and in companies in general. And I think executives, now that they are really able to relate more to their frontline employees, I think it's a huge benefit for companies and just our society. And uh, I think the, the remote interviewing is such an interesting topic because before, like you said, there, there's benefits and there's definitely negatives to remote interviewing that remote interview makes your life easier if you're i don't know new york and you're looking to move to palo alto but you you don't want to make that trip yet because it's an expensive trip but at the same time suddenly you've got children around you um which wouldn't have been a worry too too long ago but suddenly you've got a child around you and you're trying to do an interview and a two-year-old doesn't want to listen to you when you're telling it to uh telling him or her to uh to behave itself so i think there's definitely some some interesting tangents that come from uh from remote interviewing and I think both on the employee and the employer side, there's pros and cons in regard to the job market. On the employee side, they have more places to apply to, but there's more competition. And on the employer side, they have more people to recruit from, but then they just have more applicants to go through. So there's these pros and cons of supply and demand that a lot of companies and applicants are trying to deal with. People are asking me, Kaya, how long does it take to find a job? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Usually before I would say it depends anywhere from a few weeks to a few months. And now with COVID, it's all over the place. I'm having clients who the same week that we start working together, a week that week or the next week, they're getting job offers. And other people that companies are just moving really slowly as they're adapting to COVID who are afraid to pull the trigger because they don't know what's going to happen. Their business is doing well one week and they're reopening. And then the next week they're shutting back down. Yeah. And um, I, I'm going to ask for your predictions in a minute for what you think 2021 and 2022 will look like, but given where you're, you're based, I think I'd be missing a, a chance if I, if I didn't ask this question, obviously with San Fran and, and that area of the, of the U S it's probably in that top five or six locations for, for tech in the world or always mm -hmm. has been. So what, 
what do you think will be the changes in the local market? So I think it's going to be applicable to places like New York, if people are listening, places like London, places like Singapore. So do you think that, because uh, what I'm seeing from a trend in London is people are now moving out of London because they're thinking, look, I can work remotely. I can live in one of the other cities. It's a lot cheaper. The, the way of living is a lot nicer and it doesn't take me two hours to get into work. Do you think that there'll be a change in some ways of people, where people live in and around the San Fran area? Yeah, I have a lot of clients who live in the Bay Area and I have a lot of clients who want to move here and the rent is a lot. And then people are like, oh, I know the Bay Area rents a lot. And then they get a job here and they're like, Kyle, the rent is a lot, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I find even now I've had clients, they're told they're going to be remote for the next six months. They don't know what's going to happen after that and they've already moved or they're yeah. going to move. And I'm finding people are moving to other metropolitan areas that are also big tech hub hubs. They're moving to Seattle, Austin, Portland. Um, I was going to say New York, but that's not really for a money thing. It's just as expensive as the Bay Area. But I find people are moving to different tech hubs where it's cheaper, but it's still tech heavy. Yep. Um, I had a client move to Phoenix. So I'm finding that people are moving to other big cities where they can work remotely, but sometimes they're still headquarters as well. Um, or it's just, I find clients either have a preference for big area, big cities and they keep moving from those or rural ones. And I just don't tend to work with those kinds of clients. Makes sense, makes sense. And I've, I've got a friend that interviewed with Amazon actually um, a couple of days ago and he was saying that he interviewed with them and at first it was going to be a remote role, that's how it was advertised. Um, and then when he had that conversation, actually it was remote till February and then full time back in the office. What do you think will happen with a lot of the, the big tech companies? Do you foresee that they will remain work from home or do you think that they'll transition back into the offices? So publicly, a lot of these companies keep extending how long they're going to be around. And I have a lot of clients on the inside, and they're saying they're getting surveys asking, would you be willing to move to another city if we pay you less? So would you be willing to move to Arizona, and we'll pay you less salary, but then you can actually afford to buy a house there? Because a lot of people can't afford to buy houses in the Bay Area. So I'm seeing this push for not just extending how long before people can return. A lot of companies have said through the end of 2021, these yep. big tech companies but i'm seeing a push for companies just reimagining how they operate maybe people just won't even live here anymore and they'll just go remote permanently at another client at a big tech company said she can be remote permanently forever um, not the whole org but at least her role she was given permission and she had asked for it before and wasn't given it so i'm seeing companies just being more flexible than they ever have been before and this was just the push that was needed yeah to yeah. be flexible and uh, I guess the final question, just from a prediction size, what do you think the market will look like by the end of next year? I know it's a, given where we are in 2020, it's, it's uh, very hard to predict it. But do you foresee that with what we've just discussed just then, a good example would be, do you foresee that this, this trend will continue? The big companies have led the trend. And do you think this is going to filter down? Or what would be your predictions for next year? I'm going to see, I imagine we'll see a lot more remote work because I'm even seeing smaller companies offer it. My clients who are targeting startups, small and medium businesses, they're seeing remote roles as well. And they're saying, Kyle, I got this remote offer in another state and I don't have to move there. So it's really cool that these smaller companies are embracing it too. And I think, again, they're realizing it's just a wider applicant pool and they can find the perfect candidate who doesn't live locally or that person can fly in maybe once a month, every few months as well. So that's what I am imagine we're just going to be a lot more remote moving into the future 
And do you think that any other predictions for the changes in the market? Do you think there's going to be any train, trends from an applicant's perspective or anything like that? Yeah, so what I'm saying is there's a lot of tech jobs. That's what we're always talking about, more and more and more. But there's going to be a lot more people jobs too. So I have a lot of clients in human resources. I'm seeing this huge growth in HR business partner roles. These people who are there to help you navigate work, coaching you on people issues, because all issues at the end of the day are these relationship-based issues. And I'm seeing this growth in that, as well as internal coach roles. So these companies hiring people to coach their employees. So bringing in people like me to coach their employees. And I see there is going to be more of a focus on people-based management roles, not just managing projects, not just managing initiatives, not just managing technology and innovation process improvement, but managing people with HR business partners, coaches, or similar roles. And I see that being a huge growth in this next year as well. I think, I think people management is going to be huge in the next few years because if we move towards this trend of more remote working, suddenly it's very hard to, to gauge how someone is feeling at home because someone's performance might be great, but in reality, if they're not feeling great about how they're working or they've got problems at home, it's hard to notice that when someone's working remotely. As someone walks in the office, I can see the way that they're walking. I can mm -hmm. see when their head's down. Whereas if someone's working remotely, um, it's hard to tell someone's mood over, over a Zoom call, for example. So I think that HR has always been great at these kind of areas, but people management and, and people understanding is it goes way past what HR... Uh, uh, are doing at the moment. So I think that's going to be a, a, a great trend uh, over the next few years to see people getting a little bit closer from people management. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think a lot of it is just waiting to see what happens. Oftentimes, companies want to control so much, but we're at the whim of this pandemic, at this financial crisis, at politics. There's so much going on that we can't control. We Part of it's just a waiting game and seeing what happens. Um, so we've got to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, Kyle, for, for attending. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I am going to take some of these bits and pieces on board, actually. You've actually taught me some things a long way, which is pretty great. If people want to reach out to you, I know you're a big keen king of, um, of networking. So what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, so I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn. So on there, I'm Kyle Elliott with two L's, two T's. And then my website's caffeinatedkyle.com. And you're welcome to reach out and chat. Amazing. Uh, I know it's always if people want to reach out to myself or the team at HackerJob, if you reach out to hello at hackerjob.co. Thanks very much for your time.